Amen. How many of you know that you are blessed beyond measure? How many of you believe you are really the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath? And do you know why you are? Is because Jesus Christ has set His love upon you. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, they will reign in life. Have you received the gift of righteousness? Have you received the abundance of His grace? You see, we serve a Father who is a giving God. He loves to give to His kids. He loves His people. And I just want us to be in this receiving mode this morning. And uh, as we're going to go into the Word, before I go into the Word, I just want to just kind of bring something up to your attention. Uh, we could sure use you uh, just helping in the tithes and offering. We're going through a season right now where tithing is down, and we just pray that if the Lord has planted you at New Life, that you would just consider tithing. How many of you know tithing is not a uh, task? It's an opportunity. Tithing, it, it doesn't matter what area of obedience God asks us to obey Him in. When we obey Him, I don't know about you, but I, I just see God opening the heavens on my life all the time. And uh, by the way, uh, we just appreciate the fact that the Lord has given us a building. Do you know our building is paid for free and clear? We don't owe anything on this building. And uh, we, we do our best to maintain this house, this facility. We know it's nothing more than a sheep shed, but uh, we need to take care of it. And uh, we just ask you if you could just remember to be faithful in tithes and offering. We could, we could really use your help. Amen. God is faithful. And uh, I believe Jesus can multiply the loaves and the fishes. We serve a God who knows how to make something big out of something little. And if we just learn to put it in his hands, he multiplies it. Amen? I want you to pray with me as we open the word this morning. I'm continuing on a series that is so important this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the precious blood. Lord, you've given us precious promises this morning whereby we are changed into that divine nature. Lord, you've come to transform us. You've come to empower us. Lord, you've come, Lord, to remind us that we've been seated with you in heavenly places. We are not of this world. We're not competing in this world. We are not of the kingdoms of this world. Lord, you've translated us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Father, so we see things from a whole different lens this morning. And we give you praise. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know that we serve a big God and He wants you to see yourself as an individual that has a big and a great vision for your life. Amen. I know that many of you, you go to school, you go to work every day, you have problems, you have issues in your home, in, in your marriage. But do you know that God wants you to invite Him to participate in your life? He wants, you to, he wants to be an active part in your life this morning. And one of the ways that He begins to help us to understand what we are and where we are and what we have uh, as, as a resource into our life is when He begins to transform our state of mind, renew our mind, renew our identity in what we are in Christ. It's really important that you really catch this series on breaking the orphan spirit. Over the past several months, I've been teaching on this subject 
Because I know that in order for you to come into your inheritance, in your inheritance in Christ, you must begin to think like a son of God. You've got to begin to act like a daughter of the King, a son of the King. But if you think like an orphan, if you act and you think like a slave, if you only see your father as a judge and a taskmaster rather than a heavenly father, then you're always, you will always have problems when it comes to prayer. When it comes to reading your Bible. I, I run into people all the time. They say, you know, Pastor, I come to church, I open my Bible, I pray, and I just don't seem to get anything out of it. I just don't seem to be able to draw the life that I really need to. Many times, it's because of the frame of mind that you're in. You see, many of us have come out of backgrounds. In fact, we are conditioned in our culture right now. We are conditioned in our culture that if you perform well, if you do well, you get good grades. Isn't that right? We go to school. If you do well, you work hard, you study hard. If you are trying to get into a football team, a basketball team, if you work hard, if you perform well, then you will be accepted. Well, that kind of thinking and conditioning really robs us from the very thing that God wants us to live by. He does not want us to become a people that live by performance or by the affirmation or the praise of man based upon performance. He wants us to know, and this is why it's difficult For a lot of people that come out of legalistic backgrounds, out of backgrounds where you've had to perform to get ahead. There's people today that are scraping and striving and trying harder to get ahead, to be accepted, to fit in, to be in. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, Jesus says, come as you are. And simply open your heart and receive what he says. Now that kind of thinking is contrary to a person who is suing their... their, I call it the Martha spirit. The Martha spirit, if you know the story in the Bible about two women, a Mary and a Martha, they were twin sisters, and Jesus one day came to the house of Martha, and Jesus saw that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She looked like she was lazy, but the Bible says she was sitting and she was hearing the words of Jesus. She was feeding upon the life and the words of Jesus. And the Bible says that Martha was troubled about many things. She was a woman of duty. And she was a great servant. She was a good woman. She loved the Lord. But she was a woman who compared herself with other people. She was a woman who was a neat and tidy woman. She liked to have things in order. She wanted the dishes done well. The the place setting had to be right. The curtains had to be washed. Everything had to be in order. And you know what? When you are trying your best to get your best, to receive the best, an affirmation from people, and then you start looking around and you start looking, well, those people aren't working as hard as I am. You start comparing yourself with other people. All of a sudden, you start becoming cynical, You become critical and you begin to find fault with other people and you don't even really like yourself. And as a result of that, you begin to complain against God. Jesus, look at, look what I'm doing and look what they're not doing. 
And you begin to become living a cynical, critical life. And you start comparing others with yourself. Now that is an orphan mentality. You see, an orphan mentality is a person who thinks, feels, sees things through the lens of hurt and bitterness. It is a lens that is, that, that is hurt and bitter because it has never really understood what home is. An orphan is a person who does not know where they belong. They don't know where their father, their mother is. There is a sense of distance, a, a sense of alienation from their heavenly father. They never really fit in. They never really seem to find that place of rest in their, in their soul. Peace in their mind. They never come to that point where they really know that they know that they know that they know that they're saved and that there's peace in their life and there are, they're at a, at a place of good standing with their Heavenly Father. An orphan spirit is always striving. An orphan spirit always feels like the outsider. In fact, orphans usually distance themselves from relationships. They have a hard time coming into intimacy, have a difficult time opening up and talking. Orphans often feel threatened. If you try to correct an orphan, they often see it as an attack rather than you really trying to help them. An orphan often feels like, don't, don't come to me with some kind of voice of authority. They have a problem with authority because they see them as judges and not fathers. Not see, they don't see them as, as people who really love them. So we, we have this dilemma in America. We have a father wound in America. We have men and women today that are growing up, that are reproducing, bringing children into the world. They themselves have never known what it is to be affirmed and have affection in a healthy, in a healthy family environment. And what they do is they reproduce the generation that they've come from into their children. And so we need to break the curse of this generation that, that continually passes on that orphan spirit. And the only way we can break that is by having a revelation of our Heavenly Father. We've got to come to know who He is. Then we've got to come to embrace what He says. Amen? You see, because th there's a lot of conditioning there's a lot of wrong thinking. There are strongholds. There is, there is habits. There's things. There's attitudes that we've just come to live with. I remember just this past week talking to a guy having a difficult time having, getting a job. And I said, you know what? If you're going to find a job, it starts with having a good attitude. How many of you know nobody wants to hire somebody with a bad attitude? If you're going to get a good job, you're going to have to have some little faith in the gifts that God has given you. You've got to like yourself. You've got to say, Lord, thank you for making me, me. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Remember years ago when I was on my knees in prayer and I was seeking the Lord and the Lord took me into the book of Judges and God began to speak to me about my own personal sense of identity. And the Lord said, Ray, you are a lot like Gideon. Remember Gideon, he was hiding when the enemy was attacking. The Bible says that Israel had been turned over to the enemy because Israel had given themselves over to idolatry. But then God comes to this young man by the name of Gideon, and he was so full of fear, 
and he was hiding from the Amalekites. He was hiding from the enemy. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And I'll never forget, I was in my own prayer bathroom. My, my prayer room is in my restroom off my office. And I was in prayer. And while I was on my knees and seeking the Lord, the Lord said, Ray, you, you are a lot like Gideon. I said, well, Lord, how am I like Gideon? He says, well, you think of yourself like Gideon thinks of himself. Because when the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, the first thing that Gideon, the angel said to Gideon, he said, Arise, O mighty man of valor. You know, Gideon just kind of sh- scratched his head on that one. What do you mean, me? Me, a mighty man of valor? And remember, Gideon was the least of all of his brothers in his house. He had the lowest reputation. He felt the least of all of his brothers. And even uh, the, uh, the, uh, the opinion of others in his own city was not really fair for him. But the Lord, I remember speaking to my own heart. I remember in prayer, the Lord said, Ray, you've got that spirit of Gideon, that spirit of inferiority, that, that spirit of the orphan spirit in your own life, that spirit of not belonging. And I'll never forget the Lord that day. He said, Ray, I want you to stand up. I remember standing up in my restroom. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And he said, I want you to look in the mirror and declare yourself what I just declared Gideon. And you know what? I couldn't do it. When I looked into the mirror and I began to say, Ray, you are... You are a mighty man of valor. I couldn't do it. What it really showed me is how much unbelief I had. I did not believe what God's Word said about me. And you know what? Because I had such a low self-esteem, and because I did not embrace the promises of God, my prayer life was weak, my witness was weak, my faith was weak, I didn't, got, I didn't get a lot of answers in my prayer life because I was looking through the lens of the law. I was looking through the lens of legalism. And I was not embracing the Father's new image that God had for me. I remember I stayed in that bathroom. In fact, the Lord, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, you're to stay here until you can look into the mirror and call yourself a mighty man of God. And it took me about 45 minutes to stand there. Remember, tears coming down my face. I said, Ray, you are a mighty man of God. And I want to tell you, it was a very serious brain warp. I mean, it was something in my mind that I did not want to agree with. I I didn't realize how much legalism I was under. I wanted to show God that I was worthy of Him by the things that I would try to do for Him. I didn't even know I was under legalism. didn't even see how blind I was to legalism. I didn't realize that even though I called God Father, I didn't really look to Him as a Father. I saw Him as a judge. I had a serious problem with coming before the throne of grace. I had an orphan spirit. I had an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit is full of fear. An orphan spirit always tends to tend to think towards unbelief and negative things. And so these five things the Lord began to speak to me on 
that if you're going to break the orphan spirit in your life, I, I want you to go to these things. Okay, let me see where I'm at here. The first thing that we have to do is we have to begin to dismantle the system of structure of lies that have been built into our mind and spirit over a period of years. How do you dismantle the system and structure of lies? The only way you can dismantle the system is you have to begin to take each lie apart with the Word of God. You have to begin to take the lie that you believe in. I, ha- I remember I had to change the way I think towards my pastor. Because there was a day when I didn't believe that my pastor meant good for me. That was a lie from the enemy. But that was a lie. I had to begin to believe that my father, my own dad, I didn't believe my dad loved me. I had to take that lie apart by taking the Word of God and believe that all things work together for good. You see, you've got to take the lie and put it against the Word of God and you need to let God's Word be the winner. You cannot allow lies to remain in your mind and expect to come into sonship. You have to dismantle the lie. You know why? Because the lies is what affects your attitude. Your attitude, it affects the atmosphere. It affects your vision. It affects your relationship. If you choose to believe a lie, it will either bring you closer to God or it will bring you farther away from God. The spirit of an orphan is always the spirit of separation. The spirit of a son is always the spirit of unity. Let me say it again. The spirit of an orphan is always separates. They always separate. They always bring division. They always dis, dis, they distance themselves. But the spirit of a son is a gatherer. It gathers. I want to gather you. I want to pull you in. Jesus was always trying to gather people. He even tried to gather the Pharisees. But they rejected him. The spirit of a Pharisee pushes away. The spirit of a son is always drawing. The spirit of a son is not intimidated. The spirit of a son is always drawn. They dismantle the system and the structures of lies that have been built into my mind and spirit over because it's based on fear. It's not based on truth. The second thing we've had to learn is that in order for you to break the orphan spirit, you have to learn to release control of doing it my way. Everyone say, doing it my way. I've got to realize that doing my way is not the right way. In America today, we do it. Frank Sinatra sang it. Doing it my way. I did it my way. Doing it my way. Doing it my way is really the problem. I've got to learn to release control. And I've got to cry, Abba, Father. Father, not my will, but your will be done. The will of the Father. The will of the Father is to do it. His way. Lord, what is your way? The, the third thing here is that responding to authority is a positive step. Let me tell you, you will never get healed until you learn to respond to authority. Until you recognize authority is a positive move in your life. If you see authority, whether it's fathers, pastors, leaders in the government, if you view leaders or authority as a wrong move, you'll never heal. The Bible says that God set those in authority 
for our benefit. In fact, the Bible says you can't even get perfected without apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We need authority in our life. The very first thing that happens when a boy or a young girl is born into a home, God places authority in their life. A father and a mother. Authority starts. If I'm going to break the orphan spirit, I have to embrace authority. It is God's word. Number four, we've got to also be able to receive good things as a positive affirmation from my Heavenly Father. There's a lot of people today, they cannot receive anything good. I remember this one time, a gentleman in our church got a great job, got a good job. And I said, well, I, and I, I said, man, isn't God good? God opened the heavens for you. He says, no, I, I was just luck. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, and I happened to be educated. And, you know, I, I, it was just luck. I said, there's no such thing as luck in the kingdom of God. He could not receive what had happened to him was something good from God. An orphan spirit always rationalizes the things that happened to him as just chance or fate. That's not the way a Christian thinks. A son understands that all things work together for good. All things from, that are good come from our Heavenly Father. And the last thing is, we move from being superficial and threatened to genuine and comfortable in close relationships. One of the ways that we break the orphan spirit is we move from being superficial to being very genuine and very open and honest. Again, sons and fathers are intimate. There's an intimacy in the body of Christ. Today, there are people today that are running from church to church. They run from marriage to marriage. They run from job to job. They are running in America. There is this law. I call it the law of escapism. If, I, if I'm having problems, I run. I've got to run because they're not doing it my way. So I'm going to run. I want you to understand, a son doesn't run. The Bible says slaves don't abide in the house, but a son abides forever. The spirit of a son. You see, the son understands the importance of a relationship. I need to stay in the house. I need to stay close to the father. I need to stay close where the, where the Lord is coming and he's healing. He's dealing with me. He's speaking to me. And he wants to bring us into close, intimate relationship. Do you know that all of you right now, do you know that your heavenly father wants to bring close, intimate relationships with you in the body of Christ? Now, you're not going to be close and intimate with everybody. That's impossible. But God wants to bring you close with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ where there's a connection where you begin to grow from them and they grow from you. There, there is what we call every joint supplying. You were never intended to be an isolated individual. The Bible says in Proverbs 26.1, He who isolates himself seeks his own desire. So, so if you're into isolation, that's because you want it your way. But in the body of Christ, there's nobody getting it their way except Him. It's all about Him. And that's why we always stay in that tangible place, flexible for the Holy Spirit to deal. I, I, even though Pastor Ray is the pastor of this house, do you know that I'm submitted to Pastor John Stanson? I'm submitted to our other leaders in this house. Pastor Ray is not the dictator of this house. Pastor Ray is under Pastor Dick Iverson, under Pastor Merv Walker. Pastor Ray needs accountability, wants relationship. I need that. And that's for your safety. How would you like me to come to you and say, hey, guess what, folks? I'm it. I'm it. The buck stops here. I'm in charge. 
boy, you better leave the church as fast as you can. You better run. Because anybody who has no accountability, no authority over them, that is dangerous. And you see, when people say they don't need authority, they don't need accountability, that's a dangerous place to be. It's called deception. In fact, it verges on leading towards an occult. Occult. See, cults, cult leaders say, I don't need anybody. I know enough. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I can make it on my own. That is dangerous. We need one another. We need the body of Christ. We need spiritual authority. And we're going to break that orphan spirit in Jesus' name. I want, to, I want you to jump with me into Galatians chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Notice what it says about a son. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The first thing about a son is it says they are led. Let me ask you, are you teachable? Can the Holy Spirit lead you? You know, I've, I've come to find out that the Holy Spirit doesn't always lead me in the things that I think are right. Are you teachable? Can you be led? It says, they that are sons of God have been led by the Spirit. Let me tell you some things the Holy Spirit's told me over the years to do. God has told me at times to love my enemies. I would love for you, I wish I could say God has told me to hate my enemies, bury them, and chase them away. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, pray for your enemies, love them, do good to them who despitefully use you and abuse you. Do good. If you want to be led by the Spirit, sometimes God will ask you to do things that go contrary to the way you feel. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has asked my wife and I to give over and above our tithing. Doesn't make rational sense, but we did. When we obeyed the Lord, guess what? God opened the heavens on our finances. God has asked us to open our home. There were times where we've brought people into our house. At times I didn't feel good about it. My wife did. We prayed. We sought the Lord. It come to be the will of God. And, and there were things that went just obeying. Being led by the Spirit of God means that you're living and allowing the Word to guide your life. I don't let my feelings guide it. My feelings are dangerous and they're fickle. How many of you know your feelings are fickle? They that be led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Notice what it says here about adoption. And now adoption, again, I'm reminding you that adoption has to do with a son who is coming into a relationship with his father, whereby the father makes an announcement before the town people that my son now is coming into a relationship, into a partnership, where I am now bringing him into a place where I am now going to begin to teach him how to handle the inheritance that I have for him. That's what it is. It's called son placing. It has nothing to do with bringing an orphan into the family who's not biologically. Adoption in the New Testament had to do with a son who was raised in the house 
And at the, at the proper time, the father would take the son, bring him next to him before the townspeople, and would announce, my son is now coming into his birthright. He is now coming into his inheritance, and now he's at a place where he's willing to be teachable. He can listen, and now I'm going to train him to come into places of responsibility, and now I'm going to entrust him to eventually take over the farm. That's what the spirit of adoption was all about. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, He's come to place favor upon you. He's come to let you know that now is the time for you to become sons and daughters of the King. And He wants us to come into that relationship of intimacy where He now begins to entrust us with responsibility as long as we are rightly related with Him. Amen? I'm a son. I'm not an orphan. I love my father. I love the relationship with my father. Notice what he says. That adoption is a spirit. He calls, Paul refers to adoption as the spirit of adoption. And that's in reference to the fact that God intends for us to experience the genuine life. Whereby we cry out, Abba Father. Everyone say Abba Father. Abba Father. Well, let's, let's take that meaning a little farther. In fact, you want to write in this next year verse, if you want to, I did it, but Mark 14, 36. Notice where Jesus used the term Abba Father. Mark 14, verse 36. If you would jump there with me. A lot of people think, think that Mark, that Abba Father just means Daddy, Daddy. Well, it, it does, but it means actually more than that. In verse 35 of Mark 14, verse 35, it says that Jesus went a little farther. This is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Do you know what Abba Father means? It doesn't mean just Daddy, Daddy. What it means is Daddy, Daddy. I'm here to do your will. That's what it means. Daddy, I'm available to do your will. It's not just Daddy, Daddy. But Daddy, I'm here to do not my will, but your will. That's the cry of a son. The the cry of a true son is Father, not my will. Your will. How many of you want His will? I want His will. I want His will in my life. I want to fulfill the, that which the Lord has called me to do. I want to fulfill. Let's look at some of the characteristics. Last week I covered some of those characteristics with us. From an orphan to a son. We looked at some of the characteristics. Understanding the difference, differences of what some of the identifying characteristics of a son is. And we looked at these, and it's important that we recognize what they are. First of all, we looked at it when it comes to the image of God. Orphans see God as a master whom they must appease continually. They feel they must pray more, read their Bible more, work harder to earn God's notice and favor more. They are often left with a feeling that there's something more that they must do or put in order before God will be pleased with them. To an orphan, God is not just master, but He's taskmaster. 
Sons, on the other hand, see God as a loving Father who accepts them unconditionally. They know the unconditional love is never based on their performance of the one receiving it, but upon the nature of the one giving it. Therefore, they can do they, they do not have to strive or act in any certain way to earn their Father's love in Christ. He loves them all the time, anyway, fully and completely, just as they are. When it comes to the motives behind discipline, when it comes to Christ, uh, orphans, orphans are usually apathetic and possess no motivation for observing Christian disciplines because they usually see it as legalistic. There are those who do pursue, pursue, pursue Christian disciplines such as prayer, Bible reading, studying, maybe even fasting, etc. out of a sense of duty and a hope of earning God's favor. They often evaluate how spiritual they are by how much time they spend each day in prayer and Bible reading and how often they will fast. Many orphans can quote the Bible extensively, pray for hours at a time, yet never know the Lord personally or affectionately and never come to that place where they feel accepted with God. Jesus chastised the Pharisees in John 5.39 when He said to them, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it, it, it is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Because their motivation is wrong, or orphans who practice the Christian disciplines easily miss the love and the intimacy of God. Sons, however, find that Christian discipline is a pleasure and a delight rather than duty. Those who receive a deep revelation of the Father's love and discover that many of the things that are used to that used, they used to do religiously either lose their importance or take on a whole new meaning for them. A, no, a new motivation of love replaces the old motivation of duty and obligation and fear. For sons, all the things of the Spirit, including Christian disciplines become a source of joy and pleasure because love brings life where duty and the letter of the law brings death. There was a day where I, I used to come to church four times a week. Years ago, before I was even pastor. I remember coming to the church because we always had things going on at the church. And I remember falling into that place where I was doing it because I had to do it. Because I wanted my pastor and my leaders and my worship leaders. I wanted everybody to like me. There was a day when I was a teenager. And the Lord began to speak to me. He says, Ray, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. If you're doing it to please man, you will begin to see disciplines as a duty and then you will eventually turn and hate it. But when you begin to see that Jesus is the reason and you begin to come to see who He is. Let me tell you something. I'm married to my wife, Carol, and we've been married almost 35 years. And you know what? There are certain disciplines that we have in our marriage. And you know what? It's not an obligation because when we cultivate love, the disciplines that we have become so much more meaningful because it's not about what I have to do. It's what I get to do. It's an opportunity. Love comes from the, from the standpoint of knowing the person you're doing it with and doing it for rather than just because you have to. 
That's the sad thing about an orphan. They do not understand the importance of Christian discipline, and they serve out of a wrong motive. Thirdly, handling other people's faults. Conflicts are unavoidable. An everyday part of life, wherever people interact with one another. Therefore, effective conflict resolution is a vital part of a healthy interpersonal relationship. Orphans have difficulty. I'm sorry here. Okay. Well, I'm missing a page. Handling other people's faults. Let's go on to the next one. I, I missed one there. I missed the paper. Viewing admonition. Orphans have a difficult time receiving admonition, even godly admonition, because they have a difficult difficulty acknowledging when they are wrong. Have you ever run into somebody who never ever says they're wrong? An orphan has a hard time saying, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Because they have a difficult time acknowledging when they're wrong in their own minds, they must be right. So when admonition comes, they receive it as a personal offense or rejection. To justify their conclusion, their focus is on others' faults. They blame other people try to vindicate and justify themselves because of negative or accusatory or, their, or because of their closed spirits to the one trying to speak admonition to their life. They literally just close you off. They write you off. But a son receives admonition as a blessing and a need in their lives because it exposes faults and weaknesses that they may not be aware of. They seek to put these weaknesses to death before they become relationship-threatening problems. Even though admonition may first cause their fur to bristle, they recognize it as a valuable correction and an opportunity for growth. Without growth, there is no maturity. And without maturity, there is no inheritance as for a son. When it comes to the expression of love, orphans are guarded and conditional in their expressions of love. Expressed love by an orphan is based on the other's performance and agreement. Because orphans have closed their hearts to love, they neither know how to give unconditional love nor how to receive it. But for sons, love is open. It's transparent. It's affectionate. They lay down their own agendas in order, in order to meet the needs of others. Love for an orphan is built on the question, what can I do? Uh, uh, the love for the orphan is built on the question what can you do for me while the love for a son is built around the question what can I do for you love for an orphan is self love love for, love, love for a son is selfless love it means showing affection or affirmation even when it doesn't when he or she doesn't feel like showing it, simply because he knows the other person is simply in need of it. When it comes to the sense of God's presence, for orphans, God's presence, if they sense it at all, is conditional and distant. If everything goes all right, if they have a good day, if they feel appeased by the Master, if they think they've dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's, then they may sense God's presence. But even then, He often seems far away because their hearts are closed to intimacy. 
But sons enjoy the close and intimate presence of God because they know that His presence and His nearness does not depend on their behavior. They have discovered that He is with them all the time, no matter how much they get off center of His love. They have All they have to do is stop, return to the center of their heart where God's love dwells, and He's always right there. Sons know the personal experience, the truth of the Scripture that says that I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you in Hebrews 13. Orphans question whether God loves them. Sons know that God is crazy about them. When it comes to the condition, conditions of life, orphans are in bondage. They are slaves to their own fear. They mistrust their independence and self-reliance, their sense of self-righteousness and self-justification, and most of all, in their own loneliness. Sons, on the other hand, live in the condition of liberty. Love has set them free from fear, shame, and humiliation, guilt, and the constant need to prove to others and to themselves. They are free not only to receive love, but also to give it away in abundance without running out. Sons are free to become everything their Father has created them to be. When it comes to position, orphans live life as they don't have a home, like they don't have a home. They feel like servants and slaves, even around the house of God. Their spirit is unsettled because they are away from the safe harbor and don't know how to get back. They are frozen in a num-num-ville in the midst of a sea of fear. Nothing satisfies. Nothing feels permanent. Nowhere feels like home. Sons are always at rest and at peace in the safe harbor of their father's love. Outside the harbor, the sea may churn and the wind may blow, but inside is calm in the father's embrace. When it comes to vision, orphans are fired by spiritual ambition. They earnestly desire some spiritual achievement or distinction and are willing to strive to achieve it. They desire to be seen and be counted among the mature. They love attention. With sons, there's no proving. No striving after position, power, or prestige. Instead, they are content simply to experience daily their father's unconditional love and acceptance and then be sent as a representative of his love to family and others. Intimacy always precedes fruitfulness. When it comes to the future, this is the last one. For orphans, the future, like many other things in life, is always uncertain. Their attitude is fight for everything you can get because they have no inheritance. Orphans must compete for what they want, depending solely on their own gifts and talents to control and manipulate circumstances in their favor. And because the future is uncertain, they are, they are most interested in what benefits them right now. Sons are willing to wait for their inheritance because they know that their future is as bright as it is certain. As sons of a loving father with infinite resources, they know they can't lose and are willing to suffer even now for the glory that lies ahead. Sons know that sonship releases inheritance and they can patiently rest in their position as sons. Can you say amen? 
Now, I know that we went through these characteristics. And the reason why we went through these characteristics is you can never really know the freedom of what it is to be a son until you come to, under, to, come to understand and recognize if you still have issues with an orphan spirit. Amen? Now, I want to I close with a scripture, and I want, I want you to jump over with me back into Galatians. Jump with me back into Galatians. Galatians. I'm sorry, Romans. Romans chapter 9, I mean. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying. My conscience bears with witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. This is Paul speaking concerning Israel. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to, to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the Word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. That is, those who are of the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. Now, right there, that verse would have brought a lot of persecution to Paul. Because that sounds like a contradiction. But he says, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Everyone say the promise. We are sons because of a great promise that our Heavenly Father has given to us. We're not sons because of anything that we try to do. One of the most difficult things that we must do, it's a challenge, is simply open our hearts, believe, and receive the promise. He's come to give us the promise. Why is the promise so important? Because in Scripture, the Bible says... In the book of Romans, if you go back to Romans chapter 4, the Bible says, verse 13, For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed God, who gives life 
to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Already dead. Everyone say already dead. Have you ever looked at something and said, this is already dead? My marriage is already dead. My future is already dead. The Bible said he did not consider his own body. You know what that means? 